Well, it's become common in our culture for athletes, for celebrities, when they come across winning some great achievement, what's the first thing they do? Praise God. They give glory to God, right? I mean, we see it all over the Super Bowl. It's almost like every single Kansas City chief player was a Christian with the way they praised God. What do they say? Well, in the interview, first, I'd like to thank God, right? They say, well, I wouldn't have been here without my faith in Christ. And then other times, this is my all-time favorite, it's the, it's the uh, quotation of Philippians 4 verse uh, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, which as we know is a, uh, a verse that is talking about um, affliction and being able to endure hardship and trial and tribulation, but that verse gets thrown around like, I can win the Super Bowl for God. But what's the problem with that? Is that why is that an issue? These guys are giving the gl- glory to God. The problem is, is oftentimes these movie stars, these celebrities, and these athletes are only doing so through their words. They're only doing so through talk. They're not necessarily following up with this with their lives, with their actions, with their deeds in their life. Football players professing God as their Lord, yet in the locker rooms cussing up a storm, right? And I saw one clip last year at last year's Super Bowl of uh, one of the quarterbacks who's like, oh, glory to God in the pregame interview. And then he's yelling the F word every time he scores a touchdown. That's kind of hypocritical, right? Or like movie stars and celebrities who uh, perform in, in movies and TV shows, the movies and TV shows that they refuse for some reason to turn down as they give glory to God are incredibly immoral and inappropriate that require them to do things that they know if they were Christians and that profession was genuine, that they should not take up. Talk is cheap, as I've entitled this sermon. If it's not backed up with action, bearing evidence of the words that we profess in it, it's just empty. It's meaningless. Christians need to live in a way that proves that profession is true. And here's the thing, guys, some of you that are sitting here today might be professing to be a Christian, but your lives are not acting like that profession. And the talk is cheap, unless it's backed up by action. We're looking at the parable of the two sons in Matthew chapter 21. So if you've got your Bibles in the English Standard Version, I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 21. We're going to look at this story together, this quick story uh, from Jesus. But before we even get to our text, as you see, our text uh, for this morning is verses 28 through 32. You need the context, right? Because we need to understand where Jesus, who Jesus is talking to and where Jesus is at when he's uh, talking here. So back up all the way to verse uh, 23 with me. Okay, And this is right after the triumphal entry of Christ where he, he comes into the city and, and the people are laying down the leaves, right? We're about to celebrate this in just a couple weeks as a commemoration of Jesus' triumphal entry. And what happens is, is the Pharisees and the scribes, the Jewish leaders, come and they uh, are uh, re- not rebuking him, but challenging his authority as the ESV title uh, gives us here in verse 23. He's, they're challenging, what, of what authority do you speak from? And Jesus answers that question. Question, or somewhat answers that question. In verse 23, you there with me? Verse 23, chapter 21. Let's look at it together. It says, And when he entered the temple, 
the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, I also ask you a question. And if you tell me the answer, then I also will tell you by what authority I do these things. Verse 25, the baptism of John, from where did it come? From heaven or from man? And they discussed it among themselves, saying, well, if we say from, uh, um, from heaven, he will say to us, why then did you not believe him? But if we say from man, we are afraid of the crowd, for they all hold that John was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And it goes right into our text here. Right? This is the uh, three parables that Jesus gives in a row, and this is uh, the, the first one that Jesus um, uh, t- tells to the, the authorities here in the, in, uh, the Jewish community. And he starts with in verse 28. What do you think? A man had two sons, and he went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and he went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir, but he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father, right? Jesus is asking the the Jewish leaders this question. Who did the will of the father? And they said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. And this idea of before you is really, he's like, he's saying, in place of you. Like, you're not going, they're going, right? But even if, even just before you, it's kind of a slight to them because they thought they were so holy and so righteous. It's like, no way do these sinners go into heaven before us. That's crazy. So this was a, a radical slight that Jesus gave to uh, these, these leaders. Verse 32. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, John the Baptist, right? And you did not believe him. He came and and professed this uh, message of repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And you did not believe him, but the people who did believe him, the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your mind and believe him. Right? They even saw what this message of the gospel is, what we're talking about here, uh, did to these, to these tax collectors and sinners. These were the outcasts of society. They were seen as just thrown down. They, like, you, didn't, you didn't hang out with them. You didn't talk to them. They were, they were destitute. They were gone. We don't, we don't engage with those people. And the Jewish leaders, high and mighty, prideful, like, look at how good I am, external righteousness, but the inside was, was empty. That's what we're dealing with here. And in our parable, the son, if you haven't already noticed, it's a very simple parable, is, uh, or the, the father is uh, God, right? The first son who we're dealing with is the tax collectors and the prostitutes, right? And the second son, Jesus is pointing the finger at the Jewish leaders and saying, that's you. The problem that these Jewish leaders had that Jesus is here calling out, and he calls it out all throughout his ministry, in, uh, especially it's seen clearly in the gospel of Matthew, is that these Jewish leaders were externally righteous. They put on a show outward, right? They spoke that they were of the will of God, but yet they rejected the will of God. And that's what Jesus is condemning them for. He's saying, hey, th- this message came and you, you claim to obey the will of God, yet you're rejecting, you're denying his messengers, you denied John the Baptist, and then you denied my message. And I am the son of God, as he goes on to explain to them later in his ministry. 
they refuse to repent. The main idea, and I'll, I'll say it in two ways, but the first way I'll say it is that we need to understand that it's people who hear and do the will of God that are genuinely professing Christ. And the second way I can say this is practice what you preach. In other words, right, put your money where your mouth is. Or you've heard it this way, if you talk the talk, then you'll walk the walk. You heard that before, right? That's what I want you to write down at the top of the line there. Ensure your walk matches your talk. That's the main idea here, right? If you're standing or you're sitting here today and you're professing to be a Christian, then your life ought to, or your profession ought to match your life, right? Your life ought to affirm or to give evidence to that profession of faith. That's saying, I walk with Christ, I stand with Christ. Does that life, does your life match that claim? That's the question. That's what Jesus is calling out. These Jewish leaders were, were hypocrites. And that's point number one, repent from any hypocrisy. So ensure your walk matches your talk. How do we do that? Step one, repent from any hypocrisy that's in your life. Any hypocrisy because that's what we see with this second son, who is symbolic of the Jewish leaders, this second son. He's, I'll go. Okay, Father, I'll go. I'll go. I'll go work the vineyard. And then he doesn't do it, right? He says he'll do it, but his actions do not follow that. This is the exact opposite of what he said he was going to do. Turn with me to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, just a couple pages over in your Bible, maybe even one. Verse, starting in verse 13, Jesus really lays the hammer down on the Jewish leaders. And he does so because of their constant hypocrisy. And he gives seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees, right? This is an all-out rebuke. He lays down the hammer on the Jewish leaders because of this hypocrisy. Are you there with me? Matthew 23, let's look at it. Verse 13. So he just got done, uh, you know, introducing these woes, and then he says right here in verse 13, the first woe, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. Woe to you, blind guides, who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. You blind men, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. Whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Another woe. Here we go. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin, uh, cumin and have ne uh, neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. 
you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, then the outside also may be clean, right? That was the big issue that the Pharisees and the scribes had, was it was external righteousness. It was not internal righteousness. That's what God cares about. And he goes on, woe to you in verse 27, and woe to you in verse 29, and woe to you, right? There's seven woes that Jesus brings down the hammer on these people. You get the picture that I'm trying to lay out here. Jesus is not a a fan of hypocrisy. Neither should we as Christians be fans of hypocrisy. We ought to repent of any hypocrisy that's in our lives. Their walk was not matching their talk. I'm sure you know this guy, Lance Armstrong. Lance Armstrong. When I was your age in high school, they had those little yellow bracelets, right? Live strong, which have probably all been burned in a fire since then, as you'll come to find out here after I tell you this story. But Lance Armstrong was a uh, a world-renowned cyclist who won the Tour de France seven times in a row. That's like winning the Super Bowl seven times in a row. A very hard feat, right? That doesn't happen. Uh, This is like the European... This is like the the equivalent of European uh, uh, cycling is the equivalent of American football, okay? It's like, besides soccer, like soccer's world renowned, right? But it was like, it's a big deal is what I'm trying to say. It's a big deal. And what he did was he became a kind of like a spokesperson for uh, uh, doing everything clean, right? He he never took performance-enhancing drugs, at least that's what he said, and he became uh, uh, world-renowned because he um, defeated cancer, right, and uh, was an icon of perseverance, and he was able to um, overcome very hard uh, difficulties in his life. Well, sadly, it comes out later that Lance Armstrong was, in fact, using performance-enhancing drugs the entire time. He was using blood transfusions. He was doing whatever he could to get an edge on his opponent, on the people that he was racing against. His life, I mean, the whole career was a sham, right? He was a hypocrite. He was living one way that, and then living another way behind the scenes, right? And I think sometimes as Christians, we make this profession, yet we live a completely different life in a different setting, in a different location, And God calls all of us to be authentic 100% no matter where we are. I want you to think about this. When you go to school, are you the same person at school that you are here at church? You got your church friends, right? And then you got your school friends. And does that change? Does that ebb and flow depending on who you're talking with? Is your profession of faith continual throughout all of your friend groups no matter where you're at? And I think for a room this size, for some of us, that's not the case. I want you to think about uh, another form of hypocrisy. And this is something, of course, that even the Jewish leaders were practicing, is when we make professions of faith and then we make these claims, like, uh, like moral claims from Scripture, like you ought to be following the Bible, yet we're doing the very things that we tell other people not to do. Right? That's a form of hypocrisy that it's seen often. And I think as, as young Christians, we need to be careful to uh, examine our lives and repent from any of this type of hypocrisy that's in our lives. Is this a life that, is this how you're living your Christian life? 
Is there hypocrisy that needs to be dealt with, that needs to be addressed and repented of? Got to live completely for Christ and reject this type of double life. All right, the second way that you can ensure that your walk matches your talk, it's similar, of course, to point number one, but it goes a little bit deeper, right? It gets kind of into the nitty-gritty of your life. It gets a little bit into your heart. Hypocrisy is clear, right? You can see hypocrisy on the surface. If someone's doing one thing and living a different way, that's clear, that's obvious, right? But other forms of hypocrisy, if you want to put it into that category, are, are secret. They're, they're hidden. They're secret sins. They're away from the eyes of other people, right? Only you know and God knows that you're a hypocrite if this is the way you're living. Point number two, you got to expose those secret sins. Expose secret sins in your life. Expose secret sins in your life. For some of you, this might be what's hindering your sanctification and your, and your walk with Christ. It's those secret sins that you are holding on to, that you refuse to repent of. And it's relatively easier to hold on to those sins. Why? Because your friends and your family and the people around you, your leaders, they don't see it because only you see it. You're, you're the one that knows these things. You're the, you're the one that knows what's going on. People can't even hold you accountable because those sins are secret and they're hidden. I mean, think about what type of secret sins these things can happen. Like, it's with your eyes, right? Behind closed doors. And what's going on with the phones? What's going on on social media? Right? It's so easy to put up this facade that, look, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a godly, uh, a Christ-following Christian, yet when I get on my phone, my eyes are drifting into the wrong places. Right? It's, it's so easy to, in your heart, be bitter against your friend or have some anger that sits uh, in your heart against your friend uh, or some resentment or jealousy against other people in your small group or at school. It's like some the things that people have that you want that you don't have. Right? It's, it, that's a secret sin that needs to be repented of, that needs to be dealt with. That's a secret sin that only you can see what can you do? Well, confess those sins, right? Be faithful to confess those to a brother and sister in Christ or to your leader, right? To bring it to your leader, bring it to your parents. Confess those sins. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. Like I said, these secret sins might be hindering your growth in Christ. It might be hindering your sanctification, but if you're faithful to confess them, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy, will obtain mercy from God. Be faithful to expose those secret sins in your life. Right? And I said that um, you're the one that sees it, right? Your friends don't see it. Your parents may not know it. Your leader may not know it. You're the one that knows about those secret sins, but God also knows, right? Psalm 90, verse 8. Psalm 90, verse 8 says, you have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Right? God's not fooled by us trying to hide our secret sins. God knows. We're held accountable to him. We got to stand before him one day. So even though your friend may not know, you're making this profession, you're, you're, you're talking the talk, but your walk is looking like you're walking the walk, but inside, in your heart, it's not. 
because of the secret sins that you're holding on to. But God knows about those secret sins. God knows. And that's who we're offending mostly, right? That's who we're disobeying mostly is God. God's not fooled by that. Well, anytime you have com- company over, Kristen and I, when we, uh, when we have people over and, you know, we have two young kids, little toddlers. Uh, Hannah's a toddler now, which is crazy. And she's crawling around and making an entire mess of the house, right? And it happens, we'll clean up the whole thing and we look back in 30 seconds and it's all, all over the floor again. It's messy again, right? And when you have company over, what does your mom say? All right, vacuum the ceilings, vacuum the walls, put everything away, take the door off the wall. Like, it's crazy. Like, mom goes crazy, right? But it's true. We got to have the the house cleaned up. We have to have the house looking good for the company that comes over. Well, what Kristen and I do when we don't have a lot of time to get the whole house cleaned up, we got the spot. You all know what I'm talking about. You got the spot where all the stuff gets shoved into, right? Some people it's under the bed. Some people it's in the closet. Some people it's like in the garage or something, right? For us, it's like our little laundry closet. We just shove everything in the laundry closet. Why? Because no one's going to go in there. They don't know what's behind that door. They come over like, wow, thanks for cleaning up. It looks really great. Wow. Yeah, it looks great. It looks great out here. You're right. But they don't know what's behind that door, right? It's a secret. I know. Kristen knows, but they don't know. If you were to open that door and all that stuff would come out, that would be, we would be exposed, right? Our, our secret mess would be exposed. We got to expose those secret sins. Your secret mess, whatever spot that is in your life, it needs, to be, it needs to be dealt with. It needs to be exposed. Because really, is our house clean if everything's just shoved into the closet? I mean, maybe on the surface, it kind of looks like it. But not necessarily if it's just, it's not put away, right? It's all just shoved into a spot where no one can see. You need to repent of those secret sins. Expose them, repent of them. That's how you ensure your walk matches your talk. Look, the Jewish leaders, they profess, like I said, to obey the will of God, but they didn't repent, right? They did not trust Jesus' message. They rejected John the Baptist and Jesus entirely. And because of that, that profession was genuine, because, or uh, was false, because they rejected what Jesus was saying. On the surface, on the outside, right, respectful, or respectable, it was reputable, it was uh, righteous, but on the inside, it was empty. Their actions proved that. That's point number three, prove your profession with obedience. Prove your profession with obedience, I mean, this is the very definition of your walk matching your talk. Proving that what you say as a Christian, you say you're a Christian, you're saying you're following God, and you prove that by doing the things that God wants you to do. It's very simple, right? Look, turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. This is a really helpful verse for us to see exactly what Jesus is talking about here. James chapter 1 verse 22 James chapter 1, verse 22 says, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Right? It's one thing to hear the word. It's one thing to listen to this message. It's another thing to apply this message into your life. 
It's one thing to read the scriptures and to learn something from the scriptures, yet do nothing with it afterwards. We need to be doers of the word. It goes on. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror, for he looks at himself and he goes away, and at once he forgets what he was like. Right? It's like hearing a good message on, on, uh, from Scripture and just walking away, doing nothing with it, and it's forgotten. Right? Learning something new from a daily Bible reading, and by the end of the day, it's like out of your mind. Right? Verse 25. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and per- perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Right? Your profession of faith is proved by being a doer of God's word. We can't just be hearers. Now, that's not to say, this text is not saying, don't be a hearer. This text is saying, no, be a hearer. Learn, grow in your knowledge, right? Come to church, learn these things, but apply them into your life, right? If you're professing to be a Christian, if you're calling yourself a, a Christian, then prove that by obedience to God's commands, being a doer. You call yourself a Christian, not do what God says. It's like if I were to stand up here, if I were to come up here and before I started the sermon, I said, guys, I am now a duck. I'm a duck. Would you believe me? No, because I don't fly like a duck. I don't swim like a duck. I can't really even float. Like I I don't even know how to float. Some people know how to float. I don't know how to float. Ducks know how to float. But no, I'm a duck, guys guys, I'm a duck. No, of course you wouldn't believe me. It doesn't matter what I claim as I come up here. Do I, I don't look like, do I look like a duck, Austin? No, I don't look like a duck. Thank you. My life, if I'm not, do, if I'm not uh, uh, acting like a duck, you would not believe that I'm a duck. Maybe if I did those things, you'd be like, okay, he might be a duck. Probably not, though. Probably have to sprout some feathers and I don't know, lead some chicks or something. I don't know what they do. I don't know what ducks do. But no, of course I'm not a duck. It doesn't matter what I say. It does not matter what I say unless I prove it. That, I prove that claim with evidence with my actions. I think James chapter 2 is so helpful with us in this. So just turn the page if you were there with us in James chapter 1. Look at James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verse 14. I think this is so helpful for us to see the difference. James chapter 2, verse 14. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, right, he brings out this practical example, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, right? What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead, right? It's non-existent. It's not there. Faith is being proven by your works, as he goes on to say. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, is the response James gives them. And I will show you my faith by my works, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder, right? If you're professing to have faith and you're professing to believe, but your life does not match that profession, you're as good as the demons, 
is what James is saying. That belief, that faith is as good as what the enemy believes. We can all assent to, to information. We can all agree to information. We can all believe in facts, but our profession of Christ must be uh, uh, proven uh, or given evidence is what I mean by proven by our works. That's what James goes on to say. And then he goes on. Uh, verse 20. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our, uh, our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. What are you talking about? Isn't the gospel justified by faith? James is talking about something different here. We're not talking about ultimate justification, right? We're talking about it's, it's proven, if you want to use that word that I used. It's given evidence to that, that profession of faith. Is your works, your good deeds, your obedience, your righteousness. And it goes on. And in the same way, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. You guys, our faith, our profession of faith is proven to be genuine by obedience to God's commands, by obedience to what God tells us to do, by producing good works in our lives. Right? If you want to talk the talk, walking the walk looks like being obedient to what God says. It looks like growing in Christ on a daily basis, and that becomes a primary desire of you. It looks like repenting from sin and walking in a new uh, way of righteousness towards Christ. It looks like doing the things God wants you to do, as simple as that. If you're professing faith here today, your life ought to match that up. Fourthly, when you seek to ensure your walk matches your talk, there's this tendency, this temptation, if you will, to simply go through the motions and check off the box, right? It's like, okay, fine, I'll do the things that God tells me to do, but I'm, I'm really just going to obey because you tell me to obey. That's point number four. We got to curb the temptation to go through the motions. Curb the temptation to go through the motions. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8 says, This people honors me with their lips, but their hearts far from me. That's right. We're doing these, these, these uh, righteous works. We're doing uh, good deeds. We're obeying God, but we're doing it with a heart that's just like, I just want to do this because I'm, I'm supposed to. I just, I'm just going to read my Bible because I got to check off the box, right? I'm just going to serve at church because that's what good Christians do. You know, I'm just going to attend service and be here on Wednesdays and Sundays because, you know, that's, that's what I'm told to do. That's what I'm told being a Christian is all about. So that's what I'm going to do, right? That's not the heart that God desires. That's not what God wants from us. It's not what God wants from you as a high schooler here at Compass Bible Church. This type of ritualistic obedience is not what God wants. I mean, really, it's not, even, it's not real. It, it, it's not real, genuine love for God. 
you know, Valentine's Day just passed, February 14th, and Kristen and I have never really been that big on doing anything for Valentine's Day, especially now that we have kids. It's like, okay, whatever, not a big deal. We'll just do it. Especially, like, Hannah is born on Valentine's Day, which is great. My little Galentine, it's awesome. I love her. But like, she's kind of taken the, the limelight of, uh, of Valentine's Day. So Kristen and I, it's like, we don't really care. We don't really care much about Valentine's Day. But what does the world say? It's like, you got to do something for the one you love. So you got you to do something, right? And uh, of course, you know, Kristen got me a card and I, I brought her flowers and um, yeah. But I want you to imagine, I bring home those flowers and I were to walk into the house and I put the flowers on the table and Kristen said, oh, you're so sweet. You're so sweet to bring those flowers to me. And I said, that's what I'm supposed to do as a husband. <laughs> oh, you're so kind to bring these flowers. Well, I'm told to love you, and I'm told to give you flowers from time to time. So here they are. <laughs> How do you think she's going to respond to me, right? Uh, okay, like trash, like throw, <laughs> like throw the flowers in the garbage. Like, I don't want this. This is terrible. I mean, sometimes our offering to God of obedience, it, it looks like that, right? Oh, okay, I guess I'll read the Bible today because I'm supposed to. Okay, God, I read the Bible. You happy? We're good? Okay, God, you know, I prayed to you today. You know, think things work good now, right? I can do things I want to do instead. Right? It's, it's, it's an offering that we're giving to God, this, this obedience to God that it... it it's not loving. It's not a relationship. You're not enjoying God the way that you're called to have a relationship with God and enjoy God and to love God and to serve God and to obey God. That's not what God's asking for. God's demanding heartfelt worship. He's demanding your life. He's demanding your heart. He's demanding your emotions. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, Hosea chapter 6, verse 6, this is, For I desire steadfast love, not sacrifice. This is during the time of the temple, right? This is during the, the Israelites in the Old Testament. It's like, I thought that's what you wanted. Well, it is. It's what he commanded us to do. But he desires the heart to be in it. It was on the, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. God desires love. God desires devotion. God desires relationship. God commands us to do these things. And yeah, of course, we should obey. But we should never go through the motions when we're obeying obedient to God, when we're obeying his commands, when we're doing the things we're called to do. It, it, it ought to be from a heart of love and desire to serve God. I mean, instead of going through the motions, do things, obey God, do things intentionally. Do things with intentionality in your life, in your Christian faith. Right? Desire God above all other things. When you're reading scripture, come to the Bible with this, this awe of, God, what are you going to teach me today? I'm excited to learn more about you as I read the words that you've given me. Right? When you approach any other spiritual discipline, evangelism, like I so desperately want this person to be saved so that they can come bring glory to God. Not, oh, I guess I got to invite friends at True North United. Right? Or, or your prayer life, like you get to come before the throne of God. This is an amazing gift that we have as Christians. You get to come before the throne of God and ask the creator of the universe whatever it is that we want to ask him. Yet we come begrudgingly. Like, okay, well, I got to pray. Let's not do that. 
Right? That's going through the motion. That's checking off the box. When we're professing Christ, come to God with a heart full of love and devotion and desire for him. Seek to do the right things, not because you're told to, but because you want to. I mean, it's as simple as that. All right, let's look at these last two verses in our text. Back in Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21, back in our text, we see the response of the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, how they responded to the message of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. In verse 31, it said, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes, they go into the kingdom of heaven before you, or kingdom of God. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him, but the tax collectors, the prostitutes, they believed him. They're the first son. They're symbolic of the first son, whereas the Jewish leaders are symbolic of the second son. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. I think the Jewish leaders, um, their response to the message of John, their response to Jesus, it, it, was, it was wrong, obviously. They failed to respond rightly. And that's something that we can learn. That's something that, as you, as you hear this, learn the right response as a result of the wrong response from the Jewish leaders. Point number five, don't reject Jesus' message. Don't reject Jesus' message. I really want you who are sitting in these seats this morning who have not responded to this message to hear this, to hear me. That doesn't mean the people that have responded get to tune me out because you can learn too. But I do want you specifically that have not responded to listen to me. Learn from this grave mistake from the Jewish leaders. Even these tax collectors and prostitutes, the destitute of society, right? They are, they are outcasts. They did not, no one wanted to be around them because of the sinners that they were. They were not seen as, as righteous or good. They were they're outcasts. Yet they responded rightly to the gospel. They responded rightly to John the Baptist's message to repent and believe. They responded rightly to Jesus. I don't care who you are or what you've done. There's some of you that may be thinking, oh, there's just no way. There's just no way. I mean, Pastor Roy doesn't know what I've done. Jesus doesn't know what I've done. I've done so many bad things, right? I'm just too far gone. I can't respond to this message. Therefore, you reject it. I mean, we're talking about the, the, the people of society that were those people in that category of, I, I can't respond to the gospel because I'm so far gone. I'm, I'm, I've done so much wrong in my life. Where Jesus says, no, you can come to me if you would just repent and believe in me. He can and will forgive you of those sins, just like he forgave the tax collectors and the prostitutes and the sinners of this society, this first century society. Oh, for others of you, I mean, if, if perhaps this is a message that, uh, you know, you, it's kind of made you convicted and it's exposed the hypocrisy, the phoniness of your profession of faith. There's no shame in admitting that that's the case here. As we read this text and as we look at these uh, practical points, are, is this the way that you're living your life? Are you living out your profession 
with action, with righteousness, with obedience to God's commands? Are you doing these things? Is your faith proved genuine by your works? And if, the, if you're convicted and you're thinking, man, I've, I've been a phony this whole time. You can come to Christ today too. You can repent and believe in the gospel today. You can be right with God today. That's the, the, the message that I want you to see here, that these people who were outcast responded rightly, that no one ever thought would be doing the will of God. I mean, the first son, they said, I will not go into the vineyard, but afterward, they changed their mind. So at first, they seemed to be disobeying the will of God, rejecting the will of God, yet later, they respond. Some of you are the first son that need to respond. You've rejected before, you need to respond now. Perhaps some of you are in the, uh, the position of the, the, the Pharisees. Don't do the same thing that the Jewish leaders did in ultimately rejecting the message. Come to Christ today. Repent and believe in the gospel today. Don't waste another second. It's my plea to you. Our culture, it's filled with sports heroes and celebrities. And as soon as they get that highest achievement, right, they want to profess that they're followers of God, yet their lives don't match it, right? And this is not just true of the, this echelon of our society, the, 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 the celebrities and the, and the athletes. This is true of even down to the point of this room today. This happens all the time where people are making professions, yet they're not living the life. Their talk is cheap, but in many circumstances, it it proves to not be cheap by the way they live their life. Right? If that's true of you today, repent, turn to Christ. If you've been exposed as a phony, repent, turn to Christ. If any of these things are true of you, repent, turn to Christ. Trust God. Don't let your talk be cheap. Prove it by your actions. Prove it by the way you live your life. Live in godliness. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for this story. Thank you for the parable that's so helpful, I think, to us to expose any hypocrisy and double living and any of these things in our lives. God, pray that they are exposed and brought to the surface that they're repented of, that we can live a godly life following you in everything that we do, God. I pray that for some of the people in this room today that this might be true of, Lord, that there's conviction that sets in and that your word proves true and that people genuinely get saved. God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, this time that we get to worship you, the blessing we get to do this each week. pray all these things in your son's name. Amen.